0: You're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Um, and I think that, I think that they deserve a mention. Um, Luke chapter 2 tells us that the shepherds were watching over their flocks of sheep by night. And if you read on in there, i I'm not sure if we ever have given this any kind of degree of thought, but it says that when the angel appeared, the shepherds were afraid. Do you think that probably? I would I would think probably the sheep were a bit spooked as well. Um, I'm sure that the bright light. I'm sure that the uh, the noise probably didn't do them any sort of good. when the shepherds regained their composure, I don't know if they took the sheep with them, um, but they did go and find the baby in Bethlehem they, uh, and they found him lying in a ma- uh, manger. Manger is another object that should actually kind of uh, take us or keep, help us keep in mind sheep because a manger was used for, uh, as a feeding trough for animals. Like um, Like sheep. When you get a nativity set, um, we have lots of nativity sets in, in our house, um, and we have one actually outside our house, and every one of them, um, in, well, I'm not going to say every one, that's a great generalization, but most of the nativity sets that we have seen, that I have seen, it, all include sheep, right? They, sheep are a part of it, um. They're just part of the Christmas story. And I want us to consider um, sheep this morning. Maybe not just because they play a minor role or anything like that. I think there's actually a much deeper reason why uh, we want to talk about sheep in relation to the Christmas story. And the deeper reason simply is this. It's because the Bible refers to Jesus as the lamb. Well, to be more accurate, um, yeah, the Bible calls him the lamb, not just a lamb, but the lamb. Jesus is called the lamb because, uh, or Jesus was was called the lamb even before he was born uh, in Bethlehem. And we read in John chapter 1 last week, and we have referenced the Christmas story over the last number of weeks, and we have talked about the different names that the Bible references Jesus. We've talked about Jesus as the Christ. We've talked about Jesus and his name Jesus. We've talked about Jesus as the word and this morning obviously we want to talk about Jesus not just as a sheep. We want to talk about Jesus as a lamb. Not just a lamb, we want to talk about Jesus as the lamb. And it's really really important I think that we we do reference this. I mean there's lots of names that we could have chosen for this series and 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 we could have talked about these different names but I think this is one of the ones that you just simply can't leave out because Jesus is referred to the lamb uh, to as the lamb over and over and over and over again. The word who became flesh, John says in John chapter one, he was called the lamb even before we had the Christmas story. The word who became flesh was called the lamb and, and did you know that Jesus was actually called the Lamb, even um, he was called the Lamb after he was born, he grew up, and just before he started his public ministry, he was called the Lamb again. Um, I'm sure you've, you've read that before in your Bibles. <laughs> Excuse me. When John the Baptist saw him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He references him as the Lamb right there. Um... And then even as you fast forward through Jesus's life and you move towards the glories of heaven, after Jesus has performed his ministry, after he has died on the cross, after he, he has been raised and ascended into heaven, he is still referred to as the lamb. Over and over and over again, when there are opportunities For Jesus to be referenced in the Bible, he is constantly and continually called the Lamb. So if you just think of Christmas, the story of Christmas, if you just think of it as the story of a baby, uh, the story of Mary and Joseph making the trip to Bethlehem, being great with child, having the baby, no room in the inn, and all those sorts of things. Those are all aspects of the story, yes. I'm, I'm not belittling those things. But if you just think of those things being the Christmas story, you're gonna miss a big part of of really what the, the story of Christmas really means. But if you start to understand that Christmas is the story of Not just a lamb, but the lamb. If you start to understand that Christmas is the story of the lamb, you're going to understand, or you're going to start to understand at least, because I don't think we will ever fully understand, but I think that we will start to understand the bigger story of Christmas, or that there is a bigger story that surrounds Christmas, that Christmas is a part of. It's only one part of the bigger story. So, this morning, my hope is to maybe just talk a little bit about the story of the Lamb because it's going to help us better understand the story of Christmas. And so, if you haven't already done so, (coughs) just go back to John chapter 1 and uh, we're going to just kind of Look at John chapter one, that passage that Pastor Matt read for us, 19 to 29, as we talk about Jesus and his name when he is called the lamb. The word as lamb. Let's pray before we uh, just get started here. Our God and heavenly father, we thank you that we um, can be in your word this morning. I thank you for this time of year. I thank you that we can spend these moments with family, and I pray that each and every one of us would have a relaxing Christmas. But for these next, next few moments, Father, I pray that um, you would give us clarity of thought, that you would help our, our eyes to see and our hearts to, uh, to be open and ready to receive what it is you have for us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, John chapter 1, uh, and specifically those 10 verses, 19 to 29, they, um, they reintroduce us to um, this man that we know as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, we know that we are told that John has been sent, uh, the Bible says that he's been sent to be a testimony um, he, has been, he has been sent to be a witness to Jesus. He was the one who was to prepare the way or to point to Jesus. So how do you think that John was going to do that? How was he going to get everybody's attention focused not just on himself? We don't, he didn't want so much of that to happen, but what he wanted was his ministry to point to Jesus. So how was he going to do that? Well, in verse uh, 29 of John chapter one, sorry, Um, in that passage, that's what um, John is, is telling us there. He tells us that When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And then the next day, something very similar happened. If you read on and you look at verses 35 and 36, the same thing happened. So on two separate days, John has a chance to point people to Jesus. And on both occasions, he references Jesus not as, hey there, bud, or or anything like that. What he says is, behold, the Lamb of God. So my question for you is this. Why did John choose to call Jesus the Lamb of God? Why didn't he just say, hey, there's the Son of God? Why didn't he say, hey, there's Jesus? Uh, Wouldn't that have made more sense? That would be probably the way people would have known him if they would have known him at all. Or, Or even better yet, why wouldn't he say, look, that's the Messiah? Because that's what the Jewish people were waiting for. They were waiting for someone to call, uh, they were waiting for someone to become or to be the Messiah. They were waiting for someone to take them away from the oppression of Rome. Everyone was looking for the Messiah. But John, instead of saying, there's the Messiah, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. So to help us answer or maybe to understand Christmas better, to answer that question, we want to figure that out this morning. So what I'd like to do is maybe just for a few minutes to take a look into this passage and maybe just show you, uh, I'm just trying to remember if I have any subpoints that I'm going to slip in there. I don't want to be I don't want to lie to you on Christmas Eve at all. It's going to be about three things that, I'm going to show, uh, that I want to show you this morning. Three things that we will learn about Jesus as the lamb that's going to help us to understand a little better what Christmas is all about. So the first thing that I want to show you from this passage is that Jesus is God's lamb. That's the first thing. Jesus is God's lamb. This is not just a lamb. This is the lamb. This is God's lamb. John, in his passage... I'm sorry, I've got to stand up. Uh, this is, I, I can't do this. I tried to be trendy. I just can't. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Take a look at uh, verse 29, John chapter 1. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is telling everyone here um, that this one over here, he's referencing, he's, uh, he's diverting everybody's attention. He's saying, Take a look. This this one right here, he is the Lamb of God. He is going to take away the sins of the world. He's showing the people, or he is with his words, he's trying to tell the people that this one, Jesus, the Lamb, he is from God. We've been told that, right? If you look down at... Uh, sorry, I'm having a trouble with my... Uh, there we go. Verse 14. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is saying it over and over and over again here in chapter 1. He's trying to make sure that we understand that the Word, remember, another name for Jesus, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the Christ, Jesus, who is going to save his people from their sin, the lamb, all these things. He's trying to say that this isn't just any, any one person. It's just not some random character that comes on the scene. This character, this, this lamb, this word, this Christ, this Jesus is from God. John is saying that Jesus is God's lamb, he says it um, in, in John's gospel alone. John says it over 40 times that Jesus is, is from the Father or, or, or God's Lamb. Uh, Jesus says it, I have been sent from the Father. Jesus wants us to know, just like John wants us to know, that he is from God, he has been sent. By the Father. And so when John shouts it out in, John, in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, he is saying to us that Jesus is God's Lamb. That he has been sent from the Father to us. That's the first thing that we find. Jesus is God's Lamb. But that still doesn't answer our question, Right? as to why John used the lamb instead of the son or the Messiah or or any other name. But look at the next part of the verse. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That sheds a little bit more light, doesn't it? Because not only is Jesus God's lamb, but he is also the sacrificial lamb. That's the second thing. Jesus is God's lamb, and then Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb because, as John says, he takes away the sins of the world. He is going to be the sacrifice, he's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Do you remember in, in Matthew chapter one, when we talked about it maybe like three or four weeks ago, when Joseph <coughs> hears that Mary's expecting the baby and he knows it isn't his baby, he's deeply hurt. He's not believing Mary's story at this point. We're told that he's a righteous man, he doesn't want to humiliate her, but he's going to end the betrothal, and he's thinking this, but we're told that he has this encounter with this angel who tells him that Joseph hate. Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary, uh, it's, it's all good. You need to take Mary home as your wife. And he, um, and this baby that she is pregnant with is a product of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be God's work. And then the angel tells Joseph something. He says, Mary's gonna give birth to a son. And then what? You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So, even before Christmas, Joseph is clued in to why Jesus is coming, why his son is coming. I mean, he is ultimately saying that your son, the one who, who is in your betrothed belly right now, he has a mission. He has a plan. He is coming for a reason. He is going to save his people from their sin. And now, 30 years later, Jesus begins his public ministry, here referenced in John, and John brings up the same theme. I mean, it's, it's hard, I think, for us to kind of enter into the metaphor um, of John chapter one a little bit. But just for a moment, I, I want you to try, just try to imagine yourself living at that time. Um, you're a Jewish man, you're a Jewish woman, you hear these words from John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, these words, th- those words that John spoke, they would not have been foreign to those people. In fact, they would have been very familiar to them. They would have been, ra- they, these people, you, if you were imagining there, you would have been raised in a culture where there were great stories, and they were rich with history of sacrificial lambs that spared other people. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, the sacrificial lambs that, that spared other people, and there were substitute sacrifices that that would take away sins and and they would have been taught about the tabernacle and the temple and, and all the sacrifices that happened there. And you immediately, if you would have heard John's words and you were standing there beside John the baptizer and you would have heard what he said, you would immediately probably have had a catalog of stories or memories of... Um, of things that you could draw on to start to make sense of what John was trying to say, okay? So my point is that what he said probably was very familiar to the people that were there. They were very familiar with the idea of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. Uh, maybe, Maybe not referenced as a human being, uh, or parallel to a human being or anything like that. But they would have understood maybe sort of what John was trying to get at. And when John uttered those words that day, uh, maybe if you were standing there, you would have immediately thought about the concept of of a lamb being a sacrifice. And that's the way it's played out in John's gospel. If you read from chapter one to chapter two <coughs> excuse me, Till the end of the the book, it's interesting that when Jesus went to the cross, it just so happened to be at the time of the Passover celebration. I don't think that's a coincidence. When Jesus is about to be led to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter, it just happened to be Passover? How can those two things actually happen by accident? There's no way that happened by accident. No, in God's economy, God was trying to make a statement there. He's saying, this is the lamb. And not just any lamb, this is the lamb of God. And this lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world. This is the sacrificial lamb that, that I sent you. Because you needed your sins taken away. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he picks up on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Christ, the Passover lamb, has been slain for us. So why does John say, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? I think it's because he wants people to connect. He wants people's attention as to who Jesus was god's lamb and what he was going to do he was going to be a sacrifice jesus is god's lamb jesus is the sacrificial lamb and then there's one final thing that i wanted to show you not just is he god's lamb not just is he god's lamb who is going to make a sacrifice but i would say this that jesus is also the world's lamb jesus is also your lamb and my lamb He is the one who was sent for you. He was the one who was sent for me. He takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was coming towards him, John the baptizer, and John said, Behold, everybody take note, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John does not say he takes away the sins of the Jews. He does not say he takes away the sins of the Canadians or the Americans or any other nation of the world. He says he takes away the sins of the world. He takes away the sins of all. It's an inclusive statement. It's interesting here that... there are already hints in the Christmas story that Jesus came for more than just the Jews. I mean, the Jews, they were very much under the opinion that Jesus, or I mean, the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for and they completely missed, they thought that the the Messiah was just coming for them. That, you know, that you know, they had been oppressed under the Assyrians and they had been oppressed under the, the no. Babylonians and they had been oppressed under the, uh, the, the Medes and the Persians and everybody else and, and then the Greeks and, oh, and then now the Romans come in and we're just so oppressed, we need a Messiah just to, to let us escape. And they weren't worried about anybody else. But, but there are hints already in the Christmas story that Jesus came for more than just the Jews. Oh, he loved the Jewish people. He chose the Jewish people. They had been chosen by him. He had plans for them. He has plans even yet for them. But one of the most famous verses in the Bible says that for God so loved the Jews. No, he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Jesus is brought to the temple, And he's presented by his mom and dad. Do you remember? I mean, just what Devin read for us this morning. His encounter with Simeon. This is one of the most remarkable stories, I think, in the entire Bible. Simeon calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for his people Israel. My eyes have seen the salvation. That's what Simeon says. And he called him a light for the world, right? Simeon understood, I think. He understood better than anyone. He had waited his entire life to see, to see the Savior. And when he held that little baby in his arms, he realized that this baby was a light for the world. I think he understood that better than most people did. When the Magi came... The Magi were Gentiles, just so that we recognize that, right? They wanted to see the newborn king of the Jews, and they bowed down because they somehow know that he is more than just a king for the Jews. He was going to take away the sins of the world. He was the world's lamb. And the writer of... Um, and, and in John's gospel... And in his next book in Revelation, John is given this vision of heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, he's given this vision. You know what? I'm just going to read it because it's better for me to uh, read it and you can see it for yourself. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, or 5 and 6, says this. Actually, I'll begin in verse four. And I began to, sweep, to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look upon it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll And it's seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. It's just another reference to Jesus as the Lamb, and not only that, but that Jesus is the world's Lamb. He he makes another reference in Revelation chapter seven verse nine, <coughs> and Jesus becomes the world's Lamb. And up in heaven, there is going to be people from every tribe. There's going to be people from every nation. There's going to be people from every tongue, and they're going to be praising and they're going to be worshiping the Lamb. And somehow, when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was trying to say he was God's Lamb who was to be sacrificed for the entire world. And when you get that, when you really understand that Jesus is God's Lamb, he's the sacrificial Lamb, he's the world's Lamb, when you start to understand that, then suddenly Christmas, the story of Christmas, it becomes much bigger. It becomes part of a larger narrative. It's not just a nice story about a baby born in a, to an impoverished couple who would grow up to <laughs> preach and teach and heal. Christmas is about God sending the lamb, the sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. So if that is the case, then my question to you is this if we really understand what Christmas is part of a bigger narrative, if we understand that Jesus is the lamb, God's lamb, sacrificial lamb, the the world's lamb, if we understand that, what are we supposed to do with it? Here's where I'm gonna slip in these two points. Um, Just two things. First, this. Make sure that you know or you receive Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. Make sure that you trust Jesus to be your sacrificial lamb. The Jews would have understood this. They it wasn't enough to know that lambs were being sacrificed in the temple. If you wanted a lamb to be your sacrifice, you had to bring a lamb. You couldn't just go and hope that somebody was going to give you a lamb. You, you, it wasn't enough for you to just go and, and hope you'd find a lamb somewhere. You had to put your hands on the lamb's head. You had to to let that lamb in the temple represent you. That was what the sacrificial system was all about. And the same holds true for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not enough for you to know that He is the Lamb. No, by faith, you have to put your hands on Him and say, He is my sacrifice. He is my lamb. I'm trusting that his death is sufficient for me. And if you've never done that, you are still carrying your sins on yourself. And one day when you stand before God, you will be told that if you didn't take the lamb, you will bear your own sin for eternity. So one of the responses to the lamb of God to the Christmas story is to make sure that Jesus is your sacrificial lamb. Here's the second thing. Make sure that you worship Jesus as the the worthy lamb. Uh, My mind, when I think of that, my mind goes back to our, our series that we went through in Revelation a couple years ago in revelation it becomes very clear that everyone is going to worship everyone at the end there will be a recognition of who Jesus is and some will react with horror because they'll realize that they missed the boat and there will some that will just drop to their knees Maybe everyone will, but everyone's gonna worship. Everyone is going to be a worshiper, and who you worship will determine your eternal destiny. There are gonna be some who will worship the beast. There are gonna be some who are gonna worship the false prophet. There, there are gonna be some who are gonna worship the system of the world and all its glitz and all its glory, and there are gonna be some who are gonna worship the lamb. Did you know that in the book of Revelation, almost 30 times Jesus is referred to as the, as the lamb? And every time he's referenced that way, he is either coming in victory or he's emerging as the victor. He is the worthy lamb. And if you know, or if you have come to know Jesus as your sacrificial lamb, you need to understand that, that this is not some kind of um, fluffy, cuddly Lamb. He is the victorious, conquering lamb, and the only response that we must have as we recognize that Jesus is the lamb is to fall down and worship. John was one of the three disciples who probably got the most time with Jesus. He was one of the the closest guys to Jesus. And in Revelation chapter one, John encounters Jesus again um, in his vision, in all his resurrected glory. And do you remember what his response is? Do you remember how John responds? This is somebody who, who spoke to him face to face, who probably, you know, I don't know, told him jokes, uh, or, you know, laughed with him around a fire, or or whatever. Like, this is a guy who knew Jesus intimately. When he encounters him in in Revelation chapter 1, do you remember what he does? He doesn't tell a joke. He falls flat on his face. He is so overcome that he falls flat on his face, and he doesn't even want to look. You know why? Because Jesus or John understood that sacrificial lamb was the worthy lamb, and that once you trust him as your sacrifice, you worship him as your Lord. And this Christmas, this Christmas Eve, if it's not about worshiping Jesus, then, as Devin told us so aptly this morning at the beginning, you are missing the point of Christmas. And ultimately, if I can be so bold, you are dishonoring God. But if this Christmas you are grateful that God would send his son to be your sacrificial lamb, if you have received him and you have given your heart of, uh, of gratitude and, and, and you give a heart of gratitude and worship, you are understanding what Christmas is all about, about, about the bigger narrative, and you are honoring God. So look, behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is... It's remarkable. I mean, we read these passages over and over and we are familiar with them, but... Yet, you bring new meaning and and new significance each time we do. Father, I pray that this this Christmas, um, these words would again just um, penetrate our hearts in in a way that they have never done before and that we would understand just what you did when you sent us your Son. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was, it was all for us. And we couldn't be more thankful. God, thank you for our church. And may we go from here um, realizing just who you are and what you have done on our behalf. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.